This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. Welcome to Friday. Welcome to KUOW's Week in Review. Maybe the end of exclusive single-family zoning. Maybe the end of the so-called pink tax. Maybe changes in when police can chase a car. And palm tree in, cherry trees not yet out. I'm Bill Radke. We're going to discuss all the week's news with my panel of journalists. Seattle Times environment reporter Isabella Breda. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Insider tech correspondent Catherine Law. Welcome back. Hey, Bill. And KOW Soundside host Libby Dickman. Hey, Libby. Well, hello, Bill. Thanks for being on the show as well today. Thank you. And you know, folks can stream this show on YouTube and Facebook and and see it happen. Right before we begin, I just want to remind, because I know people just tune in for a week in review and haven't been hearing us say this all week long, Libby. Uh, it's a pledge drive. It's a spring membership it drive. It sure is. Yes, and here's how you do it. You go to KUOW.org or call 206-543-9595. And as they say, we have a challenge to help uh, goose us along to encourage more people to join that circle, that group of uh, listener supporters. That group of wonderful folks who keep public radio strong in the Puget Sound region. This is a challenge from an anonymous listener from Kirkland who has generously offered to match all contributions made to KUOW in today's week in review up to $2,000. This uh, anonymous listener loves hearing about conversations between smart people about what's been happening across the state and how it affects everyone across the Puget Sound neighborhood. This is their way of encouraging you to join in their support. They are really laying a gauntlet down and saying, I could just give a one-time $2,000 gift, but instead what I'm doing is maximizing that gift by challenging other folks to match it. So that means for you, if you are thinking about giving during Week in Review, if you give $50, it's going to become $100. If you give $500, it'll become $1,000. I mean, sky's the limit here, up to $2,000, uh, and it'll double your gift. So that is a great way for your money to go further to impact the news and programming at, at KUOW. Thank you, Kirkland Anonymous listener. Thank you, it Kirkland. sounds a lot like my sister who lives in Kirkland, but I cannot verify that. I, I This is the person is anonymous. Uh, my sister's not given $2,000 <laughs> to support my job, but yeah, I know. I, that would be great. Thanks, well, sister. Uh, <laughs> Special thank you gift as well, because this is $5 Friday. Uh, we're offering, as as a little sugar, as a way of saying thank you, if you can contribute $5 a month to KUOW, we'd like to send along the KOW Clear Tote Bag. A clear bag. Why, why would it be helpful to have a bag that you can see through, Libby? That is because if you've been to a sporting event, a professional sporting event lately, the Seahawks, the Kraken, the Storm, the Sounders, the Sounders season just started, you're not getting through the door yeah. with an opaque tote bag. Nope. That's for darn sure. You're mm-hmm. not getting through the door with a usual purse, you got to have that clear tote bag. It's a security measure, and you don't want to be stuck at the door with uh, a, a bag you can't see through. That is a big disaster. So the tote is a great deal today. Yes, you just go to KUOW.org and make that happen, or 206-543-9595. It's, it's also, it's not just a bag, it's a metaphor to have a KUOW bag of transparency, wow. I think. It's like it's like you're bringing the journalism right with you to the bleachers uh, when you go to KUOW.org. Listen, Clear. our, our uh, Pledge Drive producer, Rashad, is going to be so happy that you leaned into <laughs> that metaphor. That? Yeah, he, he was really excited about the me- that metaphor. And yeah. yes, it's transparency. You can see through it. It is a clear... The, we are about clarity here at mm-hmm. KUOW. Mm-hmm. The tote is a great deal, $5 a month. That's a lower premium than usual. Now's the time to take advantage at 206-543-9595 or KUOW.org. Okay, let's get to the programming. And by the way, of course, while you're listening, whenever it's convenient to you, we're here. We're at KUOW.org. We've got people answering phones at 206-543-9595. And we have, again, that challenge match from Niceness in Kirkland, who's matching your contribution uh, dollar for dollar, all the way up to 2000 bucks. So let's take every single buck of that. Okay, That's our pause. Uh, Here is the news. This week, the Washington State House passed a bill that would end most of our state's exclusive 
single-family zoning. KUOW's housing reporter Joshua McNichols told us the measure would allow multifamily homes in just about every neighborhood. People could still build single-family homes if they want to, but the bill would lift bans on duplexes, triplexes, and townhomes. Anna Fahey is with the progressive think tank Sightline. They've been polling voters on the topic. She says voters have listed homelessness and the housing shortage as their top issues for years. What I think is changing is that Voters understand the shortage is at the root cause of prices and rents being so high. And they are starting to understand really what the mechanisms are that will unleash the housing (laughs) that people are really hungry for. Of course, a lot of people don't believe that ending exclusive single-family zoning will lower prices, which we might get into. But Isabella, this is not just about home prices, right? Yeah, in a way, it's also thinking about climate resiliency. So when we increase density, we can lessen sprawl and we can open up opportunities to create green space like parks and community spaces. Uh, So when there's a heat event, people could come together and find AC. People could seek uh, cool temperatures in the local park in areas where there may not be shade. Um, So, yeah, it's a good uh, planning opportunity for our future. And speaking of opportunity, Libby, it's also about housing opportunity from some people who have been robbed of it in the past. You know, I think that there's an interesting dynamic going on here. You mentioned that not everybody associates building more with prices coming down. Mm -hmm. And for researchers, that has been shown to be the case for, you know, across cities. Boston, New York has looked have looked at this. And indeed, this is a supply and demand issue. We have been underbuilding for decades and we need more supply. The problem is that oftentimes somebody looks around their neighborhood and sees, you know, big buildings going up or uh, big expensive homes going up. And the prices of those newly constructed homes are out of reach. And they're thinking, well, you know, this new ADU or this new home is it's not an affordable home. It's not a solution for the folks who are in desperate need at the bottom of the of the scale. But what is happening and what is invisible to folks is we have such a shortfall that the overall housing supply is it's looking like new construction is associated with higher prices. That's not the case. What we see is when new homes come at the top of the market, then there is this ladder effect of the step down from that, maybe the middle income housing. Some of that becomes more available because folks who were waiting couldn't buy a a new home. Now they can. Folks move into that space. There's a filling, there's a backfill effect that gets down to the low income uh, part of the market. And there is research to show that. The problem is these issues are so large, they're happening at, at macro levels that are really difficult to tell when you just look down your street and say, hey, a new condo building went up in my neighborhood, but prices didn't come down. Yeah. KOW's housing reporter uses the, Joshua McNichols uses the analogy of uh, Superman trying to slow down a train, a freight train that's accelerating. The 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 train is housing costs. He's so good. That's such and, a good analogy. And he says Superman has been weakened by kryptonite, which kryptonite is all the market forces at exclusive zoning and everything. So Superman is pushing backward on the train. The train is not slowing down. The prices are not slowing down. They're not falling. The train's accelerating, but at a slower rate. So Superman is not going to push the train backward and make Seattle cheaper. Superman is putting downward pressure on prices. So, and by the way, Joshua told me he's still looking for the perfect analogy. He's not satisfied. He says, tell listeners they can email me their analogy suggestions. It's <laughs> jmcnichols at org. Did he really yep, say that? I could show it to you. Yeah, he emailed me and said, yeah, I'm looking, because I'm, he's trying to tweak. Is it a baby superhero? Is that why? Anyway, um, so that's, yes, that's, that's uh, Joshua's good reporting on that. And it also, um, Catherine, lawmakers have modified this as well in the legislature. They've made, what do you call it, watering down loopholes or, or, right. or amendments. How, how much have they changed this idea? Well, when this bill was first introduced, it would have allowed sixplexes to be built in a lot of places in large cities like Seattle and the suburbs around Seattle. It would have allowed for sixplexes around major transit hubs and parks, but that has changed. Right now, uh, we're, uh, we're, we've moved down to fourplexes. So <laughs> mm-hmm. instead of a city of sixplexes, Seattle would potentially be a city of fourplexes. And, and we should note that this bill still needs to pass the Senate and be signed into law by the governor before it would take effect. 
Um, but, you know, I, I like Joshua's analogy, the kryptonite. But I think, you know, another part of the kryptonite is uh, regulations from local governments and other sort of neighborhood boards that uh, even when similar laws uh, that would restrict single family zoning have been passed in other states do a lot to weaken those laws. So, for instance, we saw in California, which uh, effectively ended single family zoning a few years ago, that law has done very little to change the housing stock in that state. And one reason for that, researchers found, was because municipalities and neighborhoods uh, were able to significantly weaken it by doing things like lowering the maximum building height for buildings or lowering the maximum uh, unit size um, or uh, other sort of design design review type uh, uh, technocratic modifications that effectively rendered that that bill meaningless. So you know, it's I think it's a it's an exciting um, bill that we're having here in Washington State to potentially do uh, some of the things that Isabel is talking about. Um, you know, decreasing sprawl, increasing density, um, fighting fighting climate change, uh, fighting <laughs> rising housing prices. But it it remains to be seen whether even this massive change would would do much to to push the needle on this. Just to share some numbers on what Catherine just said. Los Angeles had the most applications to split lots and build more density on uh, formerly single-family lots in the 2022 building year. They just had 211 applications to split lots across the entire city of Los Angeles, which permits you know, 20,000 plus homes per year. So there are a lot of barriers and a lot of questions about how much this would spur denser development because of what Catherine was mentioning, there's other ways that that can be uh, squashed. Okay, before um, this is going to continue in the legislature, before we leave this topic, I do think beyond beyond the numbers, it's important to nod to how people feel as well. And you can't always quantify that. But, uh, you know, we ask people in our, our we have this community feedback club that uh, I can pass along the number. but And we get so many comments, as we always do, from people talking about trees being being ripped up and gone about big tall looming shadow casting homogenous at best if not ugly buildings ruining what made seattle great uh i'll just quote one person susan uh, susan what made seattle great was its beautiful unique neighborhoods they're being destroyed and this will be the final nail Hmm. So, Susan may or may not have uh, the num- you know, all the numbers and the research in on this, but there's a feeling among some people, especially who've been here a while, that they, they loved it and it's, and it's being destroyed. Yeah, I mean, all respect to Susan, but um, I, I have to feel that the thing that makes cities great are the people who live here. Yeah. And the diversity of people who live here. Exactly. And uh, it's, it's, it's getting really hard yeah. <laughs> for people to live in Seattle. Um, you know, my rent just went up. Uh, it's gone up 20% in the past 18 months. Uh, some bills that would have stabilized rent uh, were just quashed in the legis- legislature. So without building more housing, I, I don't see how how we're going to protect that sort of uh, residential diversity. And we don't have to see building more housing as a sacrifice either. Like the loss that Susan is speaking about doesn't have to be the option. We have to lean on cities to do better planning to make sure when there are these extreme heat events, I'm sorry I keep going back to this, but there are trees in those neighborhoods that are getting the hottest right now, those areas that don't have any green space where there's been this fast development and that has only been an afterthought. I will add that I understand the criticisms of the tree canopy loss. I do think that we need tighter regulations for developers when they do rip out trees, especially mature trees, that there is a um, significant replacement. There are rules in place for that, but the um, enforcement we've heard from neighbors is not tight enough. We don't have enough staffing for that. So I totally hear that. Um, And I, I do believe that there's more to do on tree canopy in this city. Okay, possibly more to say at the end of the show on uh, breaking news, trees updates, if we have time. So I want to switch on to something else being considered in the legislature now, maybe changing the rules again for when police can chase a car. 
Uh, the state changed the police pursuit law a couple of years ago to say that officers can chase somebody if they have probable cause to suspect a violent crime, a sex crime, or that it's a drunk driver. KUOW reporter Amy Radel told us last month that supporters say there's plenty of good reason to restrict police pursuits. Andrea Capane Sanderson is a nonprofit leader and founder of the BIPOC Ed Coalition. She testified before the House Community Safety Committee last week. Pursuits are widely known to be inherently dangerous and put innocent people at risk, and they're the exact opposite of de-escalation. At the same hearing, Tacoma mother Amber Goldade told legislators she blames the new law for the death of her 12-year-old daughter, Immaculate, who was struck by a stolen truck last January. She said if not for the current law, the driver might have been detained the week before. And the police had stopped him, but he fled in a stolen vehicle, and the police could only watch. Well, now, after all this testimony and a lot of debate, there are a couple of bills in the legislature to somewhat loosen the restrictions on police pursuits that we can get to. Uh, Catherine, have the dueling testimonies here been helpful, been illuminating? You know, I I suspect that this issue is more about emotion than about um, statistics. Uh, you know, my 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 great sympathies reside with the mother of this girl who who was killed by a stolen vehicle the driver of a stolen vehicle um i will say though that we do have some data indicating that the relationship between uh laws that limit uh police pursuits and um you know the extent to which vehicles are stolen is is quite tenuous we don't know that pursuit laws mean that more drivers are stealing cars in other in other words and it's it's hard for me to believe that when it really comes down to it, you know, voters want police officers to start high speed chases over things like traffic tickets. Um, these are chases that that do injure people. They, they do, you know, cause collateral damage. And there are other options. I think somebody brought up GPS trackers that are fired by car mounted air compressors and and that, they're, those they're sticky and they stick yes. onto the car yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> <A> little, like <laughs> the tags air right tags. right a little gps tracker gun mm-hmm. on the cars um those, those will allow officers to uh track suspects and arrest them later when they are are able to do so safely um so we have options and i I, I I suspect that this has more to do with the perception that some types of crime are increasing and the reality is that some types of very visible crime are are increasing and I think I I I would hope for a um, a bit of caution here because these are the types of emotional responses that lead to things like the establishment of uh, street crime units um, like Memphis's Scorpion Squad and, and, and uh, you know, empowering police departments with a bunch of new, um, new tools to tackle these crimes that sometimes have uh, pretty harmful effects on communities. I would say that the analysis in Olympia has really devolved into what data you want to listen to, that there's been sort of this um, conversation, I think, because the law's only been in effect about a year, that we don't really have a ton of data yet about the um, life-saving change of uh, reducing the number of police pursuits. And we have folks who are sharing anecdotes about, like Catherine was mentioning, uh, family members of people who might have been injured or killed by people who commit crimes and kind of projecting and saying the crime might have been prevented if there was a police chase in order to capture that suspect. That's, um, you know, some speculation that's really hard to uh, refute when you're in a debate and and talking to really um, families who are hurting and families who are experiencing real pain and suffering. However, uh, Martina Morris, a professor emerita of statistics the, at the University of Washington, again, with limited just a year data, says that they have shown um, a drop in fatalities after the police pursuits were curtailed and that they required probable cause to arrest before the pursuit was um, was started. So, um but lawmakers who are hearing from families of crime victims, again, that's a very powerful thing in Olympia. You're, you're probably not going to hear from families from uh, of people who were not hurt or killed. Exactly. By, <laughs> by these exactly. Like bystanders who may have been hurt or injured exactly. in a police pursuit. Although, again, I don't know how you quantify the, what would you call it, uh, the perceived moral hazard of some of, of people knowing that they're not going to be chased by the cops. That's impossible, right? It's uh, <laughs> that's such a hard issue. Right. Um, okay, so 
the 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 gist of the change, uh, Isabella, is that the, the there's a Senate bill that would let an officer chase if they have reasonable suspicion and not just probable cause, right? Right. And we have to look back and see the reasons why this law was changed in the first place before we start considering why it should be flipped backwards. Uh, the Washington Post had been collecting data for about a decade following these police pursuits and the collateral damage that comes out of them. And the suspects alone, police shoot and kill more than a thousand people every year on average. Black Americans are shot and killed at a disproportionate rate. And the whole point of this, you know, in the way of the killing of George Floyd and these public police killings that gained more public awareness in 2020 when everyone was stuck at home was the result of this law and other laws changing and aimed to reduce harm of that collateral damage, direct damage, like investigations around police brutality. Um, So this came out of an emotional place, but it came out of a place that was rooted in statistics that have been built up over years and years. And so essentially, you know, what's happened since then is police have been coming together, spending thousands of dollars to produce uh, these political campaigns and videos, asking lawmakers to uh, revert the law back, saying they don't have adequate resources and kind of these fear mongering messages that now we're seeing play out in the legislature. You're listening to Week in Review on KUOW, and we're going to take a little break, and then we will get back with the legislature on some other things they're considering, um, the so-called pink tax, and also acting on the idea of greenhouse gas emission allowances. We had our first auction this week. So that's coming up in just a moment as we continue to discuss what happened this week and what it means. I'm Bill Radke taking a little pause here to remind you that KUOW is made possible by you, made possible by listeners, and that really comes into full effect when it's the spring membership drive, which it is right now. And Libby, there is a a challenge, an anonymous listener in Kirkland has offered to match every contribution we get during Week in Review. That's right. An anonymous listener who we have decided is not Bill Radke's sister <laughs> I don't know, has one way or the stepped other. forward yeah. saying they love hearing about conversations between smart people about what's been happening across the state. We've got some smart women here in the room with me here. I've, I feel so honored to be here with Isabella and Catherine. And it's so wonderful when you convene these conversations, Bill, because you're a thoughtful moderator. You're an empathetic moderator. You ask probing and interesting questions that I would never have thought of to ask. And if you support and believe in this kind of programming the way this anonymous listener in Kirkland does, now is the time because your donation will be doubled. Call in at 206-543-9595 or online at KUOW.org. That donation is going to go so much farther to support Week in Review and KUOW to fuel this lean, mean public radio machine. Thank you, Libby. It's KUOW.org or 206-543-9595. If we get all into my Libby Dankman fandom, then we'll have no time to cover the news. (laughs) But I'm so happy that we bring together local journalists to do just that. We have Seattle Times environment reporter Isabella Breda with us today, an insider tech correspondent, correspondent Catherine Long. Every week we get people together to sort of share their notebooks, ask their exchange questions, exchange observations, and tell you what you need to know to be an informed citizen which is just what KUOW is there for, and which is why it's uh, nice that KUOW is not beholden to advertisers, but beholden to you, the listener. So uh, enough said about that for a moment. Uh, Again, it's KUOW.org. Take uh, this Kirkland listener up on this uh, challenge and get your match, get your contribution doubled. KUOW.org or 206-543-9595. We'll be right back. You rely on this podcast to stay informed and connected with your local community, and we rely on you. Without listener support, this show simply wouldn't exist. Be a part of the team that makes this show possible by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute. Donate at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thank you.
It's KUOW's Week in Review. We're streaming it on YouTube and Facebook in case that entices you. I'm Bill Radke, and we're with KUOW's Libby Denkman, Insiders, Catherine Long, the Seattle Times, Isabella Breda, and another idea in the Washington legislature to tell you about when it comes to this week's news. The state Senate passed a bill that would ban companies from charging different prices for substantially similar products marketed to men and women. Senate sponsor Monka Dingra says there's no reason a product in a pink package should be more expensive than one in a blue package. So is this about the market? Is this about uh, preference? Who's willing to pay more? Why do we think there is a so-called uh, pink tax? I don't know if it's really that anyone's willing to pay more, or if it's just that it's marketed to you and therefore you buy it. And then later you realize when things like this come up that, oh, my God, I've been paying 7% more this mm-hmm. whole time. <laughs> well, my college econ class told me that companies will charge you as much as you're willing to pay, that if they thought that men were willing to pay more or fill in the blank, then they would be charged more. But think about how much those companies, to what great lengths they go to to create the demand for these products. I mean, like I think that the example that jumped to all all of our minds was razor razors. Blades. Yeah. <laughs> so bogus, so bogus. The pink razors, yeah. but you know, for years the razor blade company has been telling us that in order to get a nice clean shave on our legs, we need to have these like uh, I don't know, like these like bump gel bumpers or something yeah. on our razors. Not yeah. true. Not true. First the of all, the razor needs to look like. Like it could go to space. Right. <laughs> like that's the good razor for ladies to use on their legs. Yes. And like even, you know, the whole leg shaving thing was itself invented by the razor blade companies to sell women razors. Yeah, good point. <laughs> but Bill, this is nothing new. I mean, the pink tax for these products are is one thing, but there's a tax on women for the way we move in the world, the way we present ourselves every day. You know, I was just looking up some research that had really frustrated me uh, when I first read it from Harvard psychologist Nancy Etkoff, who looked at... Uh, the amount of makeup women wear in the workplace and how they're trusted. You can't go makeupless and expect to have the maximum amount of trust from your coworkers. According to this research, you need to have a moderate amount of makeup in order to make you look fresh and alert and uh, you know pretty. I guess is the is the underlying thing there, but not too much makeup, Bill, because if you have too much eyeliner on, that trust starts to plummet. So there's mm. kind of like this uh, this this graph that they follow of how people feel about women, depending on the makeup they wear. It's just an example of the way we have to think that much more. There's an emotional energy tax in terms of taking care of coworkers' feelings, taking care of the people in our lives that we pay because of our gender. It's just the beginning when it comes to products that we buy in the store. Yes, and- yes, totally. And sorry sorry to jump in. I just want to make this one point really quick. You know, I think that when we, when we think of pink tax, we think of the drugstores, right? Things that we buy in the drugstores. Mm-hmm. And you know, in my experience, the pink tech goes way beyond drugstores. You know, uh, I I used to have a buzz cut. I got charged more for my buzz cut since I was a woman. <laughs> at the hairdresser? Yeah, at the hairdresser. It'll be yes. like women's and men's prices. Yes. Yeah. You know, women pay more for their cars because car dealers perceive them as being less willing or able to negotiate. So the starting price for the negotiation is higher. Women pay higher auto insurance rates. Uh, Apple Card. Uh, Apple got into this big uh, big snafu a few years ago when its new credit card offering was giving women much lower spending limits than men with, with oh equal God. or worse credit. We can't be trusted with money. We might spend it on shoes. Take us right back to 1973. Only yeah. our husbands should be allowed to decide whether or not we have credit cards. <laughs> And just sort of tangentially related to Libby's uh, comments around makeup is we might be buying more expensive makeup because the more affordable makeup contains tons of toxic chemicals. And there's another bill moving through the legislature. Focus on that right now. Mm. Yeah. Clean products are more expensive. So if you want to not get cancer, (laughs) you got to spend more. Sure. You got to be willing to, to spend for that. Uh, okay, well, the, the uh, House... Do you House... think you touched a nerve with this one, Bill? <laughs> Do you get that sense? I, I get it. I mean, I would just say, ladies, <laughs> that the color pink itself is so much more expensive to produce. It's red right. and white. Get out of here. Together. Get out of here. Anyhow, uh, so the, the state sponsor uh, says that this is not, by the way, going to be... If there's a legitimate reason, like it's more expensive ingredients, although that's debatable, uh, uh, or, or a... Uh, harder manufacturing process if for some reason then those products would not be affected by this law so the uh, the legislature is going to um 
go on considering this. And if it passes, companies will raise prices on products marketed to men. No, You're welcome. No. Or lower them on products <laughs> marketed to women or both. I don't know. Okay. Um, here's another uh, – this relates to the legislature. Um, something that the, uh, that the lawmakers did a couple years ago is put a cap on greenhouse gas emissions – a company can pay extra, though, for permission to keep polluting. They have to go to an auction and buy allowances to greenhouse pollute. And this week, the state held its first greenhouse gas allowance auction. Isabella, how did that go? Um, well, it wasn't very exciting because we couldn't see anything that was happening because it was all online. Hmm. So uh, No fast-talking auctioneer. No, no, yeah. none of that. Hmm. It was all online. People could upload Excel spreadsheets with their bids. It was all very over my head, um, above my pay grade, et cetera, businessy stuff. But um, this was the first auction that our state had seen. So a lot of people were looking on to see, oh, like how much are these allowance shares actually going to go for? Because maybe that will affect how much we pay for gas if the oil companies don't want to just eat the cost themselves. Mm. Um, and if you look back to 2012, when California held their first auction, those shares sold for just a couple cents more than the floor price or the least that you could possibly bid. And so the fear of that was, well, who are you really holding accountable if the cost of carbon isn't equal to the actual environmental cost of carbon? Mm -hmm. um, but here in our state, we saw the settlement price come in at more than double the floor price, which maybe meant that our cap on emissions has some legitimacy, question mark. Hmm. Um, I guess we'll see in future years, but these companies can essentially you know, purchase all these allowances up, store them for future years if they want, and then present them forward to the state when the compliance period comes up. Could it also indicate that things have changed since 2012? That's possible, but California and Quebec just held an auction where their settlement price was like $10, $15 less than ours here. So hmm. what makes us so special? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> will, so will, do we think that, that the, for example, do we think this auction will raise gas prices? Do we think it will work um, you know, and have the effect of eventually lowering emissions? Right. So this is the first time that it's really going to cost polluters to continue acting the way they have. And this is not just the big, mean oil companies. You know, this is us. We people who drive gas or diesel powered vehicles yeah. go and buy the gas and we're the ones combusting it. Right. Mm -hmm. So maybe in, to some degree it would make sense if the cost is passed down. There's a potential that could happen. But, uh, you know, lawmakers have assured us that hopefully they would be helping us to make the transition to cleaner energy. So even if the cost is coming down to us in the form of gas prices, there'd be incentives to switch to to electric vehicles, and we'd all receive a better uh, cost-benefit analysis in the sense that maybe we wouldn't have ravaging wildfires in the next 30 years. So there's just like a trade-off of like where the expenses are, are going. Mm -hmm. Ugh, the dream. No more wildfire. <laughs> I'm I'm curious because I get really confused here, and I've talked to you, Isabella, about this before, and you've you've been so patient with me. Um, I get confused between allowances that a state is auctioning off and like carbon credits that are being offered to businesses to make claims about them being like carbon neutral. Right. Like this, what we're talking about is different here, right? Because I know there's been a lot of research lately about like whether these carbon credits and this, you know, deforestation protection or whatever is actually a quality thing that's saving forests or whether it's sort of a big hoax. Right. Um, that's different than what we're talking about here with state allowances, right? Yeah. So this is like a mandatory program. You have to go in and cover the cost of your emissions. Um, there have been voluntary offset programs, those carbon credits for like preserving a chunk of forest, which in the past, sometimes they've burned up and now they're not really worth the carbon sequestration value, mm. um, which is what I think Libby was trying to get at. But it's it's a trade-off. So now in our state, you can buy these allowances, and there is an opportunity to also buy those offsets. So that will be a piece of it. Um, California's had that in their cap-and-trade program, where you can buy a set amount of allowances to cover your costs. The rest could be done in offsets, and you can kind of just equal them out to meet whatever percentage of your pollution that you need to cover. Mm -hmm. But in Washington state, the idea is if you're purchasing these offsets, so for like 
X amount of acres in a forest are being saved on behalf of your company, um, then they'd be pulling the allowances out of our market. So there would hopefully be less available to everyone and a little bit of a stricter requirement to actually meet those like decarbonization goals. Okay. Uh, the next allowance auction is going to be later this spring. May. End of May. Yeah. And one more climate note before we leave the topic. Um, Catherine, a former UW climate scientist, wants us to know that we can change our mindset in ways that matter to us and in the big picture matter to the climate. Will you fill us in? That's right. Um, I have spoken on this show before about how the topic of climate change just sends me into a spiral of malaise. I just feel overwhelmed. And Crosscut had this great interview this week with a UW climate scientist talking about how we don't need to feel that way. <laughs> and that, that article felt so liberating to me. Um, you know, it prompted me to think about the things that I already do uh, to to fight climate change and, and pat myself on the back a little bit for those. But also the author, Hannah Weinberger, asked the public, she asked us, what are some unconventional things that you that you are doing to fight climate change? You know, not just uh, reducing the amount of meat you eat or uh, giving up your car, but um, things like, and she, she, she gave the example from her own life of learning foreign languages because that's helping her to uh, have deeper conversations with people in other countries about what they're doing and how they're feeling to fight climate change. Um, so I was thinking to my own life, and I, I just joined this mountaineering group, and that's that's been helping me to feel a lot perkier <laughs> about I our need, climate future. I want to hear from, from uh, Libby and Isabella. I just want to inject, I'm imagining some listeners are hearing this thinking, so you're learning another language and you're hiking, which is something you like anyway, and now you and you're congratulating yourself for it. <laughs> so just say more. Any reaction? I to was that? just going to claim my uh, my climate cred is I've been staying home and playing a lot of video games lately because <laughs> yes. the weather's been kind of crummy. <laughs> but I normally, you know, maybe would have been driving somewhere to pass the time, and instead I'm just I'm hunkering down and I'm reducing my carbon footprint. So okay. let's pat me on the back for that one. Yeah. But it it really is a it's it's about changing the mindset, right? The idea yeah. is that if you're demoralized, yes. you know, you're not going to think that a better future is possible. And we are we do need to feel that change is possible if we're going to ever be able to make change. That's important. Well put. That's what I was trying to get at. Yes. Um, by the way, I, I don't know if this really counts because it does have to do with beef, which is pretty conventional climate stuff. But I found two words. Special occasions, very helpful. We went from we're not beef-eating family to we'll eat beef on special occasions. And you know what? A special occasion where you are so much want to eat beef almost never comes up. So it's just a little switch from we can't do this anymore to we do it when it's special. Yeah, It's a small thing. Is that is that an example? Yeah, that kind helps of. me with the the mini crisis. Uh, my coworker and I were sharing last week, going over all the horrible things we'd done in the last month, like mm -hmm. go get boba and create tons of plastic waste mm -hmm. or. Buy a cute shirt at Target for $3 and then worry about the impacts of that. As but long if you as you look feel guilty. As, yeah, right. Incredibly <laughs> guilty, but it's not an everyday thing. So, you know, being able to recognize the, the good little things you do is What's great. What's an too. example of a special beef occasion? Thank you. <laughs> well, like, are we talking about a Costco trip for an all-beef frank and you just have to go and, and get one? The most recent case for me was a holiday. I think it was Christmas and it was Beef Wellington. Because it sounds so Charles Dickens. That you know, you just think, oh, but that would be so special. Bring us our figgy pudding. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. So, but but then probably not for a year before that, you know. So, um, and also, I'm also, um, I'm putting my I resisted putting recyclables in the dishwasher because you know how they're not supposed to be have food waste on them, but it seemed like it's defeating the purpose. Like, how obnoxious is that to be cleaning your recyclables in your... But there is honestly room in the dishwasher. It's not taking up any more uh, water, and so I've made peace with that. This is the most Seattle conversation yeah, I've I ever heard, and I'm so proud of all of us. Thank you, Libby. Uh, can we take a pause for a moment and have one more Seattle conversation, which is, yes, I donated to my public radio station. I think that's very Seattle. How do you like my tote bag? Right. That is a very Seattle conversation, and you can be part of that Seattle conversation by donating to KUOW during the spring member drive, which is what we're in the middle of. Today's the midpoint of that drive. You can call 206 543 
888-900-9595 or go online to KUOW.org. And may I suggest mm. a really lovely tote bag for this drive is the transparent tote bag. It is very practical for folks who want to go to big events, you know, outdoor events that uh, have security or uh, a cracking game, a Seahawks game, a Sounders game. You have to have a clear bag these days and you don't want to show up without one. It is very inconvenient. So mm-hmm. KUOW is offering the $5 premium level, a beautiful clear tote bag with the KUOW logo on it. That is the lower premium than usual. Today is the day to take advantage of that. You can do so by calling 206-543-9595. And if you're concerned that people can see what's in your bag, number one, you're breaking the stigma against shopping transparency. We have more in common than we do dividing us. Number two, nobody cares what's in your bag. <laughs> uh, here, And by the way, here's an up update on our uh, challenge. This Kirkland listener is doubling your contribution right now during Week in Review. Uh, This listener put $2,000 on the metaphorical table. We still have $1,100 left to go, so that is just being not put to use. We got to get on our horse. Get on your horse and double that $1,100, whatever part of that you can be right now at KUOW.org. We are more than halfway through the hour, but we are not halfway through that matching challenge. And what happens when you don't maximize a dollar for dollar match like this is it gets left on the table. So please step up right now. It is vital that we meet these challenges for the overall goals of the pledge drive that keep KUOW on track to fulfill its budget of keeping news and information flowing into the Puget Sound region, keeping our reporting, our programming, all of the wonderful things you hear on KUOW strong throughout the budget year. We need to meet these challenges. If you fall behind on them, it just dominoes for the whole drive. So right now, $1,100 left. Please step up and help us meet that goal. Grab that tote bag as a thank you gift. But of course, Bill, the number one gift is to know that you are supporting news and information for the whole community. For folks who will never hit a a paywall, who will never have to pay a subscription, they will be able to take advantage of that because of your gift. You are uniting the community and informing the community. Yes, well put. That's the whole idea. We're going to take a a little break here and get back with more news. Again, we're at 206-543-9595 or online, KUOW.org. If you just listen to KUOW, I, I, I like you a lot. If you also contribute to KOW, now we're getting into to adoration territory. Uh, we're going to be <laughs> we're going to be right back. It's KUOW's Week in Review. Your panel of journalists today includes insider tech correspondent Catherine Long, Seattle Times environment reporter Isabella Breda, and KUOW soundside host Libby Dankman. So. Uh, Isabella, your newspaper is asking readers for the unspoken rules of Seattle. Any favorites? I actually have one that has come up very often recently. Um, I was going home from work. I was tired. I got on the light rail and there was like this heavy metal music playing. And I was like, does anyone realize they're like playing it out of the speakers, right? Right. No, it's the person in front of me with their like Bluetooth speaker and they just kept cranking it up. Mm. And just please, just please put in headphones. That's and all. It, it literally, that rule literally goes unspoken because <laughs> I had the same experience this morning and I unspoke it because there's no way I'm telling that person right. what to do with their music. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but to not say something, that is also an unspoken rule of Seattle. Yes! Exactly. So the very exactly. act of not saying something True. is a Seattle rule because yes. it's not yeah. universal to all cities. Well Many said. people would confront that that person. Yeah. Or, or you'd have like a you know train car full, <laughs> like a revolution yeah. to like rise up and say, please turn your darn speaker off. I agree. Live and let live. That is that is the That's unspoken the Seattle, Seattle thing. Good yeah. Point. Don't make eye contact. Yeah. yeah, that too. Yeah. Any others? <laughs> Ouch. Uh, my, my thing is uh, whenever I hear somebody say maybe they'll attend something, I know they're not coming. That's, <laughs> oh, yeah. that's Seattle speak for a hard no. Yes. I'm going to be yes. at home with my cat that day. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Thanks for letting me know about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Got it. For me, it's umbrellas. For the umbrellas, me, it yeah. is the other day. You know, I, when I moved back to Seattle, I grew up here and then I moved away for a little bit, came back. When I got back here, I thought, boy, we used to be kind of mean to umbrella users. And I don't know why. You know, I'll use an umbrella once or twice. 
And then I was just like, why? My hood is working so much better. I don't need to deal with this extra thing that, you know, keeps a hand occupied. Yes. And then the other day I'm walking down the Ave in the University District near KUW Studios and I get clocked in the side of the head by somebody with a darn golf umbrella walking Mm. down the sidewalk, truly just like a big, you know, circle of pain walking down the sidewalk, (laughs) running into people, not paying attention. And I just thought to myself, yep, I'm back on board. No umbrellas. But Libby, you thought it to yourself. You thought it? That's (laughs) the key. That is the key. Touche. Touche. No, Uh, I never would have said something. Goodness. Is there... um, I, I think older big cities seem to walk on the right more. Is that a Seattle thing that we're not quite yet as used to being crowded, and so there's more chaos oh, walking yeah. around? I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I've seen that. I would say, I don't know if carpool to a trailhead, um, because there's so few parking spots at a trailhead, which is what you want in a trail. You don't want a parking garage. Um I think buy buy a box fan and an air filter is something we hear a lot, but I feel it it went unspoken. It goes unspoken for some people because we don't want to admit to ourselves that this is the new normal. Like if I go and and buy the thing, it's the new normal. Mm. Um, Yeah, I don't know if those are poor examples. You know, I was uh, speaking of of what goes spoken or unspoken. I wanted to ask you, we were talking about uh, homes, how there's going to be new uh, ADUs allowed and there, some people call them accessory dwelling units or mother-in-law apartments or cottages. What do we think is we're going to settle on in the Seattle area for what we call our multifamily homes? Well, I'm praying that we settle on cottage because it gives a real, like, hobbit core mm-hmm. aesthetic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think is really mm-hmm. in line with, you know, what it's like to live in Seattle. Mother-in-law units uh, is a little gendered for me. And ADUs just feels kind of technical. It's very mm-hmm. space-agey. Yeah. I don't know. What do, you, what do you guys think? Backyard cottages. I'm cottages, into it. Yeah. It's yeah. giving me that, like, higa, that, uh, mm. you know, whatever <laughs> it was, Scandinavian concept of coziness. Cozy, yeah. And you're right. The mother-in-law concept is like, oh, I, w- I need to, like, isolate my mother-in-law off in the backyard. Yeah. It kind of gives me a bad feeling. So cottage, I'm on board. Agreed. Uh, by the way, cottage, I th- you know how it, it, it historically has met a small, single-family home. But I think, I predict cottage is just going to be meaningless. It's going to be... Because if a sixplex is a cottage, you know everything's going to. I was gonna... <laughs> just about to say, I'm going to I'm going to call my sixplex my cottage. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's just that's going to be a realtor word that everything is a cottage, just like cozy is a realtor speak for small. Sure. You know, yeah, yep. uh, or efficient is another realtor speak for small. This is a perfect segue to telling our listeners that I'm doing this series about words. Uh, the, the words we choose, I think they really matter. And and so I did this episode. My latest one is about Dive Bar. And by the way, you can get this in your Week in Review podcast feed. I'm calling it Words in Review for now. I just drop it in on Mondays. This last one, we talked about the Dive Bar, which is now I have. Does anyone know what a Dive Bar is anymore? Does it mean anything? To me, it um, it's 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 giving a place where you walk in and you can order like a Rainier or a Boilermaker and maybe not much else. And also, there's sort of like a urine bad bathroom smell yes. pervading. A lot yes. of stickers, maybe. Mm. Um, that, w- what do you guys think? Maybe some pool tables in there too. Mm. Yeah. yeah, the urine smell near the restrooms is sort of a, a must yeah. for a true dive bar, <laughs> not one of these faux dive bars that are like meant to market to tech workers who actually would never be caught dead in a real dive bar. If you can order a craft beer there, no, not a dive it's bar. not a dive bar. Yeah, that's it. It's I, I think um, it, it used to describe all the Ds, darkness, danger, yes. desperation, possibly depression. And then we realize that it sounds cool to say that we love dive bars. Mm-hmm. It's like the pretentiousness <laughs> of sounding unpretentious. So, and... Um, it's gone. It's pretty much gone. Yeah. So uh, if you're interested in words, as I we've done we've done dive bar, we've done Exodus, we've done legendary, we've done iconic. So you can get that in your your week in review feed. Uh, which brings us here toward the end of the show. Is there something we can leave listeners to smile about? Something? Anything made you smile today? This week, the resilience of the rogue palm tree on Alki. Oh the God. Seattle, right. a, a Seattle Parks Department employee planted a palm tree in um, the Seattle Department of Transportation a planting strip. I mm-hmm. guess it turns out that this was an unpermitted planting. 
The palm tree, however, persists. It will become a, a feature of Alki Beach. I love it. I love the idea of having palm trees in Seattle. Yeah, there's this. Uh, I think some people hated the idea because it's you know it's not native. It's right. It's it's fakey. But palm tree palm trees can live here. There's a yeah. cheekiness to it. There's right. a cheekiness. You know, there's yes. some levity. It makes you smile. Everybody just lighten up. <laughs> that That's was... what I have to say. <laughs> Anything else before we go? I'd say skipping rocks, everybody. I skipped made, rocks. I love to skip rocks. Yeah. What made you think of that? I have a, a two-and-a-half-year-old nephew, and I hadn't skipped rocks uh, since I was a kid, probably. And mm-hmm. we were at Richmond Beach, which has a great playground, by the way. One of the greatest views of any playground, I would argue, in the country is at Richmond Beach Park. Add a palm tree to that, and you get the Add perfect view. Add a palm view. tree, and we're, we're in business. You know, walk down to the beach after having some playground time. And he is delighted by rock skipping. Right now, it's more of with with him. It's more like a plunk, and and then the yeah. the adults are skipping. But he's gonna get there. And I just, it's such a wonderful activity. Everybody try it. Get back to rock skipping. Yes. See you there. Anything? One last thing. Yeah. One last thing. It's almost spring. It's almost spring. And almost uh, daylight saving time. Whether almost. that makes you smile or frown, I leave that to you personally. <laughs> Uh, hey, we got, we're just at the end of the show here, and we got to say, I've got an update on uh, the KOW membership drive. You know, this Kirkland listener, possibly my sister, probably not. I mean, what are the odds statistically? But that person is matching uh, your contribution dollar for dollar. Libby, there's still 300 untapped dollars in that. $300 so, in the next couple of it. minutes here. Yeah, this is, if you start your donation before the end of the hour, it will count towards week in review. It's so important, I cannot emphasize this enough, to support the locally produced shows on KUOW, like Week in Review, like Seattle Now, and like Soundside. Like Soundside. And it's just, it shows the um, where listeners are feeling about uh, how much KUOW invests in local programming, which we really do. You know, uh, nationwide, we have these programs that we bring to you, of course, Morning Edition, All Things Considered, those kinds of shows where we have our local reporting, and then we also use the national product. That's a beautiful blend of local and national. But when you get down to a weekend review or a Soundside or a Seattle Now that is truly reporters in your community sharing stories, sharing delightful uh, people that you might not have met, all kinds of things that these programs bring you every single day. The producers work so hard. It is huge to support it with your dollars, with your support. So I just know this last $300, we can get it done in the next couple of minutes here. If you call KUOW.org or 206-543-9595. Yes, that is the localist you could possibly be, is to be a financial supporter of your public radio station. KUOW.org, 543-9595. We got to go. I want to thank our host, our, our, our panel of journalists, KUOW's Soundside host, Libby Denkman. Libby, thank you for bringing us a wonderful local show every single day. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Bill. Insider tech correspondent Catherine Long. Catherine, thanks as always. I'm so happy to be here. And Seattle Times environment reporter Isabella Breda. Will you come back too? Let's do this again. I guess so. Thanks. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, unspoken rule of Seattle. She's never coming uh, back. Play it cool. Play it cool. Oh, I believe. I believe. Uh, producer Kevin Kniestet, thank you. Thank you, everybody. And uh, we'll see you again in a week.